A few weeks ago, we started a new series called Following Jesus, His Life and Teaching. And uh, I'm providing uh, a handout each week um, for the upcoming Sunday. So you're getting right now two sheets of paper. One is the passage for next Sunday, which happens to be the uh, Jesus Changing Water to Wine, the book of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke left it out of their stories. wasn't an important story, I guess. I mean, to them. Um, anyway, so they're passing those out. And uh, if you miss Sunday, you can still get it. Clara is sending out on Mondays, every Monday, an email to everyone in the church that she knows their email address and is sending them a copy of this. Uh, so it's available. You can be using it and... Um, this morning, the, uh, the Holy Spirit highlighted a lot of things to me, but, but one of which is, and it's going to sound a little crazy maybe, but w what you do during the week is more important than what I'm going to share with you today. Just a thought. Because he wants to speak to you. Jesus wants to teach you. We are, are very dependent on training and teaching, and too frequently we have looked to do that to come from pastors and teachers. And, and that's a good thing, and he has called us to do that, but he wants to teach you too. Yep, yep, I got dead battery. That's right, I got lots of love. So my, my hope, my hope, uh, is that our activity of reading and reflecting during the week and here on Sundays is going to help us together to better understand Jesus' life and teaching and at the same time sort of put us into a place, a circumstance, a situation where we can experience or begin to experience an interactive relationship and companionship with Jesus. Now, I know that sounds like way out there. And it is. But it is what he said. My sheep will hear my voice. They will follow me. That sounds like that we're supposed to do that. Well, we don't know how, right? So if we don't know how to do something, we have to learn how to do it. Hmm, interesting. This week we're going to be talking uh, and looking at Jesus' temptation, maybe, um, meaning that hopefully you all have, have read it and, and reflected and and have uh, aspects of what you learned this week. So I'm going to read it, and, uh, and then I'm going to ask uh, if there's anyone uh, that would be willing to share something that, that you got this week during your reading and reflecting that was particularly meaningful, something somewhat short, not looking for you to teach a sermon. Uh, but I would like to begin to have us uh, share briefly, somebody, what, what are you experiencing during the week in your times with Jesus? Jesus returned from the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. 
He was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But he answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him sit on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, He will give His angels he will give his angels orders concerning you. And in their hands, they will lift you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus told him, it is written, you must not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all this, all these things, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan. Get out of here. For it is written, You must worship the Lord your God, and you must serve him only. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from, from him for a time. And immediately angels came and began to serve him. So is there anybody that would like to share something that stood out to them this week in their um, experience. All right. We've got a volunteer. Freya, looking forward to hearing what you what you got this week. Yeah. So I was, uh, Jim? Hello. Yep, it's good. So um, this, this past week I was able to, to actually um, read this and kind of follow through. I didn't do the whole thing, but it, I, I read it and did it a few times because my baby was asleep, so. <laughs> um, Something I think that is cool and kind of hit me was that Jesus was tempted. And I think sometimes there can be guilt. Um, and as a person, you can feel bad that you're tempted by things. Mm. And I think it's important to know that God was tempted. <laughs> and he is, like, the most powerful person. <laughs> slash God. You know, I'm <laughs> person and God. <laughs> um, so I, I just... I just think it's, you shouldn't feel guilty for being tempted, but the most important part is to um, let God lead you and to sway and to not um, give in to those temptations. Cool. Thank you. How many of you sensed that that was kind of cool, that she saw that this week? I got one. I got one. All right. You guys, you know what? You need to become a little more participative. <laughs> this is not all about me, other than that this microphone is not working well today. It's not staying on. Okay. Well, before I um, offer to you some thoughts and comments about what I saw, uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word that you have provided to us to learn, to grow, to experience true life. Thank you that we are all in progress on this. 
that you are at work in each one of us. Leading, guiding, directing. Some we're familiar with, we catch it, and others we don't. But you're still leading and guiding. So Holy Spirit, uh, <clears throat> would you share whatever it is that's on your heart this morning? And if there's any, anything here um, that you want highlighted or not highlighted that, that you and I have worked on as we prepared this, then I want you to direct that. And I trust you to be with us, to teach us, to help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, uh, before we actually talk about the temptations and the Jesus' responses, I just want to point out some, some things that, again, were sort of highlighted to me about this. Um, one is that this story takes place very soon after Jesus' baptism. And when we think about Jesus' baptism, we, we need to remember there's a two-part baptism. And I think we tend to remember the water baptism and we know something about a dove? Oh, wait, no. The Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is not a dove? That's what John saw. He said something like, you know, something. Anyway, Jesus was baptized in the Spirit. He was inundated. He was filled. The Holy Spirit took up residence in him in the same way that Jesus told his disciples, please, please, stay in Jerusalem, hang out, wait for the promise of the Father, the inundation of the Holy Spirit in your life. Mark's gospel uses the word translated drove. The Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. And that was highlighted, I'm aware, by uh, some of those reading it. It's kind of catching. Wow, that's, that's like kind of mean, isn't it? <laughs> kind of directive, maybe? Um, however, even that word could mean to lead forth. It, it is used in other contexts. You know, I'm going I'm to switch to the other, the other mic. Um, Matthew and Luke use a different Greek word that very clearly means led. But all of that tells us, I think, tells me that Jesus went into this experience in the wilderness with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew, Luke led, drove, Drove kind of sounds like the Holy Spirit's kind of behind him. Yeah, get out there, get out there. And I, and I think that's a wrong image. That it was a powerful leading, or an I must, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. But I think it's clear that we need to remember Jesus was not in that situation, in that circumstance, alone. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was able to do what he did 
in refuting Satan in part because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And there is a lesson for us. If you're facing temptation, don't face it alone. Remember, reflect, welcome, think about that the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Father, are in you. They're with you. I had a spiritual direction session this week where um, the individual had an image, a dream image, of being in a dark place with a, a hissing thing in the darkness. But he was in the arms of the father, held like a child, with a lion, a lion sit, sitting next to the father, looking intently in the direction of the hissing. I thought that was a fairly good image. When we face temptation, when we face difficulties, suffering, things happen, bad things, God is with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. You simply need to embrace and welcome that presence and that help. You need to choose you need to choose to not lean on your own ability and understandings. If we learn nothing more today from this, than that we can see in Jesus' own life that he didn't deal with difficulty alone, walk out of here with that. You're good to go. But let's see if there's more. Mark's version of the account uh, is simply su a summary. It's only two verses. And he just kind of says, you know, Jesus was driven, uh, 40 days tempted, and, um, and the devil left. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's, just this, it's just a summary. So we can't really look to his text to go, what really happened? He's just referencing it. His book's much shorter. He was young. Mark, Mark was young. You know, he... He wasn't as, as mature uh, as the other writers, and so he's just kind of getting through the story. I don't know. Bless you, Mark. Thank you for what you did. Anyway, um, so Mark's account, if you read it, would suggest that, that G Jesus was tempted for 40 days, all 40 of the days. A and he might have been. I mean, the commentaries say, you know, I mean, Mark, that's what Mark said, 40 days. I think he was summarizing that Jesus was in the wilderness and happened to be tempted, you know, for 40 days and was tempted. But anyway, Matthew and, uh, and Luke clearly uh, speak of the temptation coming at the end of the 40 days of solitude and, and fasting. And I share that because I, I want us to think about the state Jesus was in at that point, 40 days. Fasting... Uh, as a spiritual practice, was a part of the Jewish religious system. Normal fasts were one, three, seven days. Moses, interestingly, is described as being on the mount, receiving the, the Ten Commandments and, and, and carving them. 
because he came down with tablets. Now, we, we picture lightning sort of, you know, carving on these stones, and God could have done that. But God could have told him those Ten Commandments in about ten seconds. What is, was he doing the rest of the time? Might have been carving the stones. Just a thought. Anyway, uh, Exodus 34, 28 says that Jesus, uh, Jesus, excuse me, Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights during the receiving of the commandments and, and the time that he was there. The description that at the end of the 40 days Jesus was hungry does not adequately describe what he would have been experiencing. I mean, if I don't eat breakfast, I get hungry. And when I get home, you know, this afternoon, I'm going to eat something. I am looking forward to dinner because that's kind of a big deal for our Claire and I. Claire and I tend to eat kind of two meals a day, the morning and the afternoon. But, you know, we fudge and stuff. But, you know, if we skip a day, we're starving. If we have to fast for a medical thing, you know, for the next morning and we have to stop eating at 10, we're just so upset. I am not going to be able to have my coffee the next morning before I have to go get that blood work. Give me a break. What will I do? Okay, that was not how Jesus was hungry. 40 days. 40 days. Does not say he didn't drink. The Moses passage does say he did not drink anything. There was an article that I bumped into uh, called The Science of Starvation. Peter Janowski, Janiszewski. Uh, is quoting from the British Medical Journal, uh, an author named Michael Peel from 1997. In a 1997 editorial in the British Medical Journal, Michael Peel briefly reviewed the available literature regarding human starvation. Generally, it appears as though humans can survive without any food for 30 to 40 days as long as they are properly hydrated. Severe symptoms of starvation, severe symptoms of starvation begin around 35 to 40 days and as highlighted by the hunger strikers of the Maas prison in Belfast in the 1980s death can occur at around 45 to 61 days Jesus was not in really good physical status now he was a carpenter been a worker, a laborer all his life. He probably had quite a bit of mass, maybe. Anyway, it's important to keep in mind that Jesus faced this situation as he did every situation during his earthly life as a human with the same physical needs, vulnerabilities, limitations that we all face. Again, we, we have this mindset that I think we've, we've gained that, that Jesus is sort of a superhero, that he's immune to the, the things of this world. A and he is a kind of superhero. But he himself, it appears to me, did not himself have superpowers but depended on the Holy Spirit for the power to do more than he could do on his own. 
I think it's easy for us to dismiss the difficulty of this event by thinking, well, Jesus could go through this because he was God. Rather, the nature of facing Satan himself, I would suggest, was extremely difficult. We read the account, and it's kind of like, ah, a fly, get out, you're bothering me. I just don't think that's what it was. I just don't. Facing the temptations in the physical condition he was, the, 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 the deprivation, the famine that he had experienced made this very difficult. That said, in addition, Jesus had spent 30 years preparing himself before facing this circumstance. We don't know that Satan, that he didn't have temptations from Satan as a child. I know he did. I'm sure he did. He, he had the ability to choose, even as a child. And we see him practicing a spiritual discipline of submission and obedience as a child. And, and Jesus comes to this moment, and, and this temptation is parallel to ours it's like our temptations but it is not the same i don't believe. so jesus spent these years in my opinion from what i can see in these texts jesus spent those years training and strengthening through spiritual practices that participated in his ability to face this situation as well as to fulfill his ministry and his ultimate mission to be abused mistreated and crucified rejected you know we don't like it when we're rejected it makes us feel bad what did jesus feel in that moment about rejection he was human Paul references that when Jesus was railed on, that he didn't rail back. I know in my own life, if somebody starts railing on me, uh, my knee-jerk action is to rail back. Any of you? So I'm driving home the other night. No, I'm not driving home. I'm sorry. I was leaving. My house, it was after dark, it's later. And I'm, I'm going down my street, and there's a little spot, uh, you know, where there's a little hill thingy, and uh, a car comes kind of up and over, and uh, he's got his low beams on, but as soon as he sees me, he flips on his high beams. Well, of course, that simply means he thinks, what I think is, that simply means he thinks I have my high beams on. So I flip my high beams on to make sure he knows I don't, and now he can't see anything, because... I'm in a kind of a truck SUV, and the high beams are really now in his eyes. Did I take them off? Are you kidding? I made sure he knew they were on. Did I think about this circumstance? Did I, did I consciously, you know what? This guy's uh, just turned on his high beams. You know, maybe he just can't see. It's dark on our street. There's no street lights. Maybe he just can't see. Maybe he isn't trying to be mean to me and 
Maybe he's not, I'm not all, you know, I've got all this negative interpretation in my head, right? Maybe that's not the way it was. You know what? I better not turn on my high beams. Probably wouldn't be helpful. You know what would be most loving? Would be not turn on my high beams. Because otherwise, he might not be able to see and he might run into me. That wouldn't be for good for me either. Do you get it? We, 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 we have these patterns of living, of life, of reacting, of, of being that don't allow us to love. So one of the purposes of, of, of this series is to help us see how Jesus lived so that we can learn from him how to live our lives. We can learn from him that he didn't retaliate when he was abused or reviled is the word I think that's used. When he was reviled, he didn't revile. When somebody cursed him, he didn't curse back. What? That's to teach us. But, but you see, Jesus practiced spiritual practices that allowed him to get there. He had to learn, in my opinion. Either that or he didn't, and this whole thing is irrelevant. Jesus was God. He could do anything he wanted to do. He was born a baby, and he had you know, complete and, and, and whole intelligence at the moment he was born. And so as he looked around and he nursed, you know, he's got his... I don't think so. Okay, last week, I, uh, well, over these weeks, this is now essentially the third uh, passage that we've looked at, I have highlighted for us what, what I've observed to be the spiritual practices that I see Jesus expressing in them. The very first uh, story we looked at was Jesus' childhood and youth. Go ahead and put up that slide if you would, David. And uh, one of the uh, one of the practices that that we see is is study Uh, he's interacting with the at age 12 he's interacting with the religious leaders and they're amazed at his understanding again i don't think he just kind of had that when he was born jesus had spent time studying learning memorizing he'd spent time with god asking God questions, finding out what is this, how does this work. Jesus studied. Jesus also personally grew. He matured. And I think the authors are saying by that 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 he grew up in all ways. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, knowledge. Another practice was connected relationship with God, listening, discernment, Involvement with the things of the Father, submission, waiting. Then last week in his baptism, I pointed out the spiritual practices of humility, submission, obedience, receiving, giving, the Father, giving, embracing the love of God. And, and uh, Alice pointed out to Clara yesterday that is how Jesus faced the temptation. Those practices are what he had built into his life that were a part of, along with, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to face the temptations. Do you, do you get that? 
In this week's text, I saw a, a number more, a number of, of more uh, practices. Uh, silence and solitude, the 40 days away from people. Uh, fasting. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. Scripture memorization. Quoted scripture. Uh, Self-restraint. Hello? He's hungry? No, he's famished. Turn that stone into bread. Pour stone. Uh, Submission to the Spirit. Resistance to temptation. Obedience. I will not bow down to you. God is the only one I will worship. Clara last week mentioned to me after the service that that when I had given the first two lists, that she thought, um, you know, some of you might have felt a bit overwhelmed by the number of spiritual practices that I had shared. And uh, if you did, you should really feel overwhelmed now. It's just getting longer. But my intention about sharing these practices of Jesus is not for you to think, oh my gosh, am I going to have to do all those? No, you're not. And you wouldn't anyway. And neither would I. None of us are going to take out that list and the ongoing list that I'm going to identify for us over these next few months and say, yep, that's my homework for this week. All 180 of them. I'm going to learn those. Uh, I'm going to let Jesus teach me how to do those, and then I'm going to be like Jesus. Uh, No. No, it's not not going to work that way. It's going to start with one at a time. That's how we learn. My hope is that you and I would understand that Jesus, Jesus didn't do what he did because he was God or because he was born that way or because he was super spiritual man. Jesus was human being like you and me. He grew in wisdom and stature and in the grace of God and others. But he did practice discipline. And he lived the first 30 years of his life in diligent, intentional training for life and ministry. And we need to learn from him. If Jesus needed that kind of training, I think I need more. The last thing I want to bring up in in this section is that these temptations were real. Jesus was really tempted. And Jesus could have sinned. Like every human being, Jesus had choice. And in that circumstance, Jesus was faced with choices. Options. Temptations. And he could have sinned, but he didn't. 
If Jesus could not have sinned, then he couldn't have been tempted. 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 What? If Jesus could not have sinned, then he couldn't have been tempted, and the whole thing is a sham. It's just a sham. But Scripture helps us out. The Hebrew writer twice speaks of Jesus' temptations. Listen to this. Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. There's my proof text. Then listen to Hebrews 2.18. Since Jesus himself has been through suffering and temptation, he knows what it is like. And when we suffer and are tempted, he is wonderfully able to come to our aid and help us. Don't go through temptation alone. Don't face trials and temptations, suffering, difficulties, bad things that happen alone. Jesus understands. He's been there. That cross thing, you know that one? That was a little tough. Another kind of side comment here. I I didn't take time to, to, to bring it up. But um, John, the Apostle John in 1 John, references these three temptations. Um, These three things that are in the world. You might look at that text sometime. And then as well, these three parallel the temptation in the garden. And in uh, March, I talked about, at Easter, I talked about how Jesus was our representative, that he, on our behalf, he lived and, and died and, and rose again. Uh, I also highlighted that on our behalf, he was tempted and didn't sin. And that in Christ, we have not sinned. We took on, through his work, we have sinned. Uh, this isn't going to come out well, but that's all right. Jesus, where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus didn't. And that is a part of what brings us life. The failure of the first Adam brought sorrow, darkness, bondage, and death. The success of the second Adam brought joy, light, freedom, and eternal life. Okay, David, I'm skipping the uh, five or six pages that are actually the teaching that I learned and wrote relative to this passage. If you want my notes, you can get them. I'm going to skip to my conclusion. And next week, do the homework. And then if I do this again, you'll still have gotten something from it. I'm, I'm, I know, I'm being, I am a pastor. I really do want to see your lives experience superabundance. And it's not going to happen by eating from what I give you. It's going to come from relationship with Jesus that you develop during the week between Sundays.
And I'm here to help you do that. Jesus' intentional training for life and ministry through implementation of a regimen of spiritual practices during the first 30 years of his life enabled him with the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to stand under the onslaught of Satan's temptation. Jesus did not defeat Satan and temptation by willpower or direct effort alone. Jesus had disciplined his mind, body, will, and emotions through and doing spiritual practices that were within his power so that he would be able to do what he could not do at a moment like that through direct effort alone. And with the Holy Spirit, together, Jesus overcame. Our part is to undergo similar training to become the kind of person who, with God's help, could lead the kind of life Jesus did and fulfill our calling and our purpose. And the only way we're going to do that is if we, too, have a similar plan for intentional training for our lives because we, too, cannot live by willpower alone. In fact, when it comes down to it, there's almost nothing that we can do by willpower alone, uh, at least of any consequence. By willpower alone, you can stand up. You can sit down. You can open your mouth. You can have words. But anything that is of, of worth, you can't do by willpower alone. Can you speak a foreign language by power alone? No, even those born, in, born Americans speak English not by willpower alone. We learned it. Listen, Freya this morning was talking to us. Could you understand her? Can she understand you? Nope, she's going to have to learn. Um, how many of you have ever run a marathon by willpower alone? Hey, I'm going to run a marathon today. There's one downtown. Let's go. Uh, calculus, statistics, bake a good cake, design or even use a computer by willpower alone, not going to happen. We can't do any of those things by willpower alone. We do those things by training, learning. And it's the same in the spiritual life. To still our minds in prayer. To not be so driven by all the thoughts that are in our heads. We need to be trained. To care for others without criticizing or judging them. We need to be trained. To be attentive to God's presence in us and with us. We need to be trained. To say no to inordinate desire. That's a lot of desire. Powerful, passionate desire. To say no to that, we need to be trained. To be more concerned about the needs of others than our own, we need to be trained. And to be trained, one, 
We must really desire that outcome or we're not going to stay in the training. We ha must have a means for being trained. We must intentionally participate in the training. We can't just read a book about scuba diving and say, I can scuba dive. I do have a friend named Nigel who knows how to scuba dive. Did you learn by reading a book? No. We have to participate. It requires doing. Guess what? In order to be trained, we need a teacher. And we have to do what the teacher tells us to do. No. I don't want to do that. I don't want to practice my ABCs. I don't want to do that homework learning about calculus. No, I'm not going to. Well, then you're not going to learn. You're not going to be trained. We have to do what the teacher says, and we have to practice what we're being trained. Jesus is inviting you and I to become his disciples, his students in life. That's what he's been inviting you to since the first day you ever heard about it. And he's still inviting you there. Are we willing to be trained by Jesus? Do we really desire the outcome of the kind of life he lived? Or is what we got okay? If you're good with what you've got and your relationships and how you're responding to people and dealing with troubles, you probably don't need Jesus then. Except for, you know, forgiveness for your sins, you get to go to heaven someday. I need his training, and I have been getting it. And it has not come easily. Uh, let's put up, I, I put up the list of spiritual practices, and I gave you a handout uh, this morning. I don't have one. Uh, it's essentially that I just, you know, cut and paste, right? This is that. That is this. And, and we're going to pause for a minute because Jesus is here. He's sitting next to you. No, that's not, no, that's not Jesus. That's your spouse. But Jesus is sitting next to you. And he's inviting you to consider learning from him his spiritual practices. Just one. We'll just start with one. These are what I, I observed as some of Jesus' spiritual practices, things he did to grow and mature. One of those is connected relationship with God. One of those is embracing the love of God. Did you know that you need to learn how to do that? Do you not, like me, sometimes kind of push God away? 
have we in our lifetime said, oh, I'm really not worthy of God's love? See, we have to be trained to embrace the love of God. So, we're going to pause a minute. And I want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, what is there? Let me start with that. Jesus, is there one of these that you want to highlight and start working with me on? And you may be attracted to one or another, but what, I, what I'd like to encourage you to do is ask Jesus. And my hope would be that you'll hear him. If you can't, then we'll, we'll work on that one with you. Jesus, is there one of those that you and I can work on together? Jesus, would you uh, help us to be aware of you this week and to uh, be thoughtful as we wake up in the morning that you, that we're in school, that we're in training as your student, a student in life. And I know that for uh, many of us, the intentionality to do, to take action, is difficult. We, we, we are missing the <coughs> self-control. And so, honestly, we can't do that. So we need you to help us at a beginning level. It's something that is something we can kind of do. I could listen. I could create time and say, what do you want to say to me? I could, I could do that if I was intentional. So would you help us learn how to have self-discipline to take action in learning from you. And Holy Spirit, I know that I know that I know we cannot do this without you. We're looking for your empowering presence to do what we cannot do on our own. And we can't do most we can't do most of those. Not easily. So we need you. And God, more than any time in our lives, we need your love. We need to know your love, that this 
this that we're talking about is not about um, proving anything. It's not about earning brownie points. It's it's about growing. It's about the spiritual practice of personal growth. And we need to know that you love us. Know that you love us whether we do it or don't do it. Doing it doesn't matter about your love. They're not connected. Fill us with your love. The fullness of your love this week. And help us to be alert to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus turns water into wine. I encourage you, invite you to read through that and have a highlighter and highlight the things that stand out to you and then ask the Holy Spirit, why did you point those out to me? What do you want to tell me? And then write that down too. I wrote for two pages this morning on this text. I went to it in the morning saying, Jesus, I know all about that text. What, what, what is there new that you're going to show me? And it was amazing what I felt like I heard this morning. Come on back next week, um, and we'll have fun. If you would like prayer or someone to come alongside, if you are concerned about anything you've heard from me today, would you talk to me about it? Uh, this stuff is, I think it's edgy. And some Christians throughout the centuries have said that this is what I'm describing and talking about is works, works salvation. This has nothing to do with salvation. It's nothing to do. This has to do with growing up. It has to do with becoming like Jesus. I'm still preaching. Sorry. Have a good day. <laughs>